Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Hey friends, welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name's Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here. Uh, and, and I just want to especially welcome those of you who are here for the first time. Uh, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, and uh, and I'd love to just uh, maybe have coffee with you sometime. I'm going to go ahead and begin. And I, <laughs> I want to start today. I just want to share with you. Some of you know I'm a big fan of dad jokes. I just want to, you know, it's Father's Day, right? Uh, and I want to share a couple, couple of dad jokes just, just to get us started. You know, uh, I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. Or, uh, how about this one? I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of dad jokes. I think one of the things I really like about dad jokes is the simplicity you know, uh, the, there's sort of a, a cheesy, simple little laugh that comes from a chuckle, right? I, I enjoy that. Uh, but, you know, dad jokes are known to be sort of corny, right? A little bit cheesy. And it's interesting to me uh, that this is sort of uh, the way dads get portrayed in the world, right? Uh, most of the ways, if you think about the ways uh, TV and movies and commercials a lot of times portray fathers is we sort of get portrayed as aloof or a little bit dumb. You know, we get portrayed as people who only care about food and uh, sports and cars and heavy equipment, you know, stuff like that. Um, But it's not often that we see uh, a father portrayed as emotionally in touch or kind or compassionate, right? Like just think uh, of some of the dads that have been popularized in television over the years. You know, for those of you who are older, you'll remember Archie Bunker, right? This this gruff guy who knows he's going to come in, he's going to sit down, he's going to crack his beer open in his chair, and everybody needs to leave him alone, right? They said no kind of, not, no emotional connection whatsoever. Or or if you're younger, you know, Homer Simpson, right? This is this is sort of the stereotypical dad. Uh, he's, a, he's kind of aloof. He loves donuts, really doesn't kind of know what's going on in the world. And this is sort of how culture portrays fathers, right? This is the way that that, that culture sees fathers is absent-minded kind of oafs, right? And as I was writing this, I I, I was researching uh, Father's Day sermons, just, you know, to get an idea of what people talk about on Father's Day. And there's an interesting trend that I noticed. You know, if you look uh, through sermons online, one of the things that you'll find is that when people preach Mother's Day sermons, they tend to be the type of sermons that are celebratory, right? They, They celebrate the heroes that are our mothers. You know, thank you moms for all you do in the world. We're so grateful. Where would we be without mothers? Right? These are the these are the Mother's Day sermons. That they, they, they celebrate the heroes. But when we preach Father's Day sermons, it, the the trend is this that most of the time when I come across the came across Father's Day sermons, they were like get it together dads. 
Fathers, you have a really important role that you're not measuring up to. Dads, you know, you're called to a higher thing. You need to be a certain kind of person and you're not being that person. So many of the sermons that I came across were like, get it right. You know, come on, grow up, men. And, and, you know, certainly there maybe is some case for that in spaces, but I think it points to something else. It's that there's something significant that we want out of fathers. Isn't there? Isn't there a, 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 a picture of an ideal father? Like when you really think about it, you want a father who's strong, who knows what he's doing. He's a protector. He's a provider. And at the same time, we want the father who's vulnerable and caring and kind and compassionate. And we want this blend, right? And I think all of culture sort of wants this blend of a father that seems impossible. What we're longing for is a, a father that's all the characteristics. It's the, he's the best of all the characteristics. And yet, none of the fathers I know measure up completely. You know, we long for this impossible father, and yet all of us, and myself included as fathers, we're just trying the best that we know how. But we all have this longing, and, and I think the reason that we have this longing is because God has given us this longing to drive us to him. That he's the only one that fulfills all of the characteristics. He's the only one who's strong and caring and compassionate. He's the only one who's vulnerable as well as able to protect. And so today on this Father's Day, what I want to do is I want to take a one-week break from our series, and I want to take a minute to just talk about your true Father, your Heavenly Father. And I want to talk about a Father who loves you so deeply that He's the best of all you could imagine. And so I'm calling today's message, Your Father in Heaven Loves You. Will you pray with me, and then we'll look at, at Scripture. And so, Father, I do welcome you to come into this place. And God, I do ask that you would speak through me. God, that people would get a picture of who you are, an accurate picture of who you are, that people today would be able to trust and experience their Father in a new way. Lord, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. Would you enable me to speak as I should? And God, I pray for an encounter with you. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look today at Luke chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Luke chapter 11. It's one of the Gospels. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to begin at the, the first verse. And here's what we read. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, 
For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, when, when we read this passage, hopefully it's, it's evident from the outset that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. You know, they asked, they said, teach us to pray like John's uh, disciple, you know, John's disciples got taught how to pray. Jesus, you teach us to pray. And so he does. And he starts off by teaching them this model on how to pray. It's a model that many of you may recognize, and in some churches it gets referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And just as a side note, if you struggle to know how to pray, this is a great model. Jesus gave it, right? If you've never tried it, let me give you just a little little bit of uh, practical advice. If you've never tried it, I would encourage you to use it as a model and pray through each stanza as a guide. So, for example, you would start and say, Father, hallowed be your name. And then pray out of the understanding that you are acknowledging that God is so high above and is so uh, other, that he's holy, that he's he's so far uh, greater than we are, right? And then you would you would move on to your kingdom come. God, I want your kingdom to come here. I want you to come and invade the earth. I want you to, to have your way in the earth. I want things to work out the way that you designed them to work. And then you move to the next one. Give us our daily bread. Okay, now I'm praying uh, for the things that I need. So I, I would encourage you, if you have a hard time praying, if you struggle to pray effectively, a great way to start is to use this model. Pray it as a, as a guide. But D- Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just teach them a model and move on. He goes further. After teaching the model, Jesus sort of illustrates uh, and tells a, a few stories to teach about the nature of the God to whom they're praying. And so the stories that follow the model are really there just to teach the disciples who God is. So when we read this section of scripture, what should happen is we should gain understanding about who God is. And one of the most foundational things that Jesus teaches here is that God is your true 
father. God is your true father. This is true. When he teaches the disciples to pray, he tells them to refer to God as father. That's significant, right? You could tell a whole lot about someone by how they uh, refer to God, right? You, you, can, you can discover, <clears throat> excuse me, what kind of relationship they have with God, how they understand the nature and character of God, right? You can, you can learn a lot about someone's relationship with God by how they refer to him. You know, I, I, I think when you listen to how people pray, sometimes you discover that they're not even sure there's somebody on the other end listening. Or, or sometimes you can tell that people believe that God is far, far away and is pretty much uninvolved. Or, or you can tell when people pray uh, that they're, you know, those who are not sure just what God is. Uh, you can tell uh, if people have an intimate relationship with God. You can tell if people are friends with God. And what Jesus says is that when you talk to God, you are talking to your true Father. That when we imagine ourselves to be talking to God, when we pray, what we ought to imagine is happening is that we are talking to our true Father. You know, there's supposed to be an intimacy there, a connection there. There's supposed to be familiarity there. There's supposed to be nearness and relationship and an, expect, uh, an expectation that God is listening and that he will respond. Jesus says, God is your father. Now, I, I mean, in a room like this, many of us, this creates some difficulty. I mean, you know, even given our culture right now and the amount of fatherlessness that exists in our culture right now, just the absence of a father creates trouble. Not to mention those who had fathers in the home that didn't reflect who God actually is. You know, for some of us, <clears throat> when Jesus says that God is our father, we actually filter our experience of God through our experiences <clears throat> of our earthly father. So if you had a father who <clears throat> was absent or was gone, you may struggle to view and understand God as near. Or if your earthly father was angry all the time or abusive, you may struggle to see God as kind and compassionate. If your earthly father was untrustworthy, you may struggle to trust God. <clears throat> you see, the role of your earthly father is to model what your true father is like. That's the role. Like Of all of us who are fathers, everyone who's here who's a father, you know, None of us were handed an instruction manual on how to be a father. And yet our role is actually to teach our kids what God, our heavenly father, is like. But here's the deal. There's not one of us who had a father who did that perfectly. I mean, maybe your earthly father did a great job. Or maybe your earthly father was worse than most. 
But we all begin life following Jesus with a skewed picture of what our true father is like. And what this means is that every one of us needs to have our understanding of God, our true heavenly father, molded and shaped by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and by scripture. There's not one of us who understands perfectly what God is like. We all have twisted pictures. And over time, they ought to become more and more like who he truly is. And yet we're always learning more about our Heavenly Father. Because this is true, Jesus teaches us two things. There's two things here that he teaches about the character of our Father. That, and the first thing that we, he teaches us about our true Father is that our true Father desires for us to pray bold prayers. Look again at verse 5 with me. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In the first century, hospitality uh, took on a far more critical role than it does today. You know, you didn't have hotels. You didn't have, like, and so if someone was traveling, they needed to be able to count on other people to take them in. So, uh, it was entirely possible. The thing that Jesus is sharing is entirely possible that a friend would show up at your house in the middle of the night to stay. And in an honor and shame culture, such as first century Israel, the biggest crime in this situation is to not display appropriate hospitality. And, and appropriate hospitality would, would be making sure that your guest was cared for, was protected, was comfortable, had a place to sleep, and especially had food to eat. And so in this situation that Jesus describes, running to a nearby friend was a completely appropriate situation, uh, uh, way to, to deal with the situation. But if the friend could not spare you shame, or, or if the friend could spare you shame by helping you and chose not to, the friend would then take on some of the shame that would come by not exercising hospitality. So in the illustration, it's not that you asked once and your friend said no. The implication is that you continued to ask. You said, come on, you're standing outside the door. You're begging, come on, I got this friend here. There's going to be shame on my house if you don't help me. And you're beginning to make a scene. And all the neighbors can hear what's going on and you're pounding on the door. You're saying, come on, don't let me have this, this shame come to my house. And now the neighbors can hear what's going on and they're becoming aware of the fact that your friend won't help you avoid shaming your house. And so even though the friend won't help you because he's nice and is your friend, he will help you because he knows it will cost him his own reputation if he doesn't. This whole illustration Jesus is giving is to make a point. And the point comes in verse 8 where he says, Because of your shameless audacity. 
What Jesus is teaching here is that it's God's desire for you to pray boldly without any shame or any sense that you shouldn't be. Jesus says that we're supposed to ask God for things that are bold and require God to come through. Look at your prayer life for a minute. Is there anything on your prayer list that you could just do on your own? Friends, if there are things on your prayer list that you could just do on your own, move them to your to-do list and start praying bold prayers before your Father. Prayers that, that, that require God to show up. Listen, if the prayers you're praying don't require God to show up, you're not praying big enough prayers. What kind of prayers are you praying? If you could just do it, you should just do it. It's not saying that you can't pray for, for things on the way to doing them. But if you're not praying bold prayers you're praying so far below what your father expects is there anything on your prayer list that requires god to come through or it's not going to happen the other thing here is jesus insists that we be persistent look again at verse 9 it says so i say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you each stanza here is the verb is in the present active tense and so literally it says ask and keep on asking seek and keep on seeking knock and keep on knocking jesus is literally teaching you that you should pray until something happens Keep seeking until you find what you're looking for. Keep knocking until the door opens. Keep banging until the breakthrough comes. It's shameless audacity that we would lay hold of God and we would not let go until he he answers us, until he does something, until he shows us something. How long do you persist in pursuing the things that you need from God? How long? How long do you persist in pursuing the things you want from God? You know, if you're struggling with addiction, do you just pray one time and you hope that's good enough? Or do you lay hold of God and I'm not going to let go until addiction is gone? Do you so desire a deeper, more intimate experience with your father that you will lay hold of God until he gives it to you? How much desire do you have? And do you pray persistently? There's this story in the Old Testament where Jacob, uh, you know, he wrongs his brother. He runs off uh, and he he gets in, in chapter 32. He's about to come back to face his brother Esau. God is a calling on his life. He's got a purpose for his life. And right before Jacob is about to meet his his brother the night before, The Bible says that Jacob wrestled all night with God. And right before the sun comes up, God tells Jacob to let him go. And Jacob says this. I want you to capture this line. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Friend, is that how you pray to your father? I won't let you go until you bless me. Do you persist with God until something happens? Jesus wants us to persistently pray bold prayers. 
But for many of us, we don't. And I think the reason we don't come to our Father boldly with shameless audacity is because deep down we're afraid we'll be disappointed. Deep down we're afraid that God's going to let us down. You know, maybe we're afraid that if we pray a really big prayer and it doesn't happen, we'll look stupid. Or maybe we're afraid that God just won't come through and I can't imagine the pain if I pray and it doesn't work. Maybe it's, it's actually from past experience. Maybe you did pray bold prayers and yet you didn't see God come through the way that you expected. And so we don't pray bold prayers. This is why there's another thing that Jesus teaches us here about the character of our Father. He wants us to pray bold, audacious prayers. But the other thing Jesus teaches us here is that our true Father is more willing to answer than we can comprehend. Look again at at verse 11 with me. It says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And of course, you know, the answer to these questions is none of them, right? Verse 13, If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In the same passage in Matthew, it says, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, Jesus gives us these examples here of people who are inclined for various reasons not to do the right thing, right? So he's talking about evil fathers, uh, who drop the ball, they're, they're aloof, they're goofy, they don't do the right thing all the time. And yet when, when the son asks for a fish, they give him a fish and not a snake. And when the son asks for an egg, they give him an egg and not a scorpion. The father drops the ball, but and the father can't always do the right things. And yet even these evil fathers can do the right thing for their sons when they ask. And or, or, or the other the story uh, where the friend at midnight won't give you the bread for the right reason because you're friends, but he will give you the bread to save his own reputation. And Jesus tells us these stories to illustrate a point that when we go ask these people in our lives who have various reasons why the, and impure reasons why they do the things they do, and they're inclined to drop the ball, and they're inclined not to do it for the right reasons, and he says, but they do it anyway. So when you ask these people, when you ask your friend, when you ask your father, when you're persistent, they'll give you what you need. And he says, even these broken people give you what you need. He says, if this is true of broken people, how much more so will it be true of your father who is not broken? And what Jesus is saying is that your true father is far more willing to answer your prayer than you can imagine. He's far more willing. And I think the hard part is that we need to actually press in and take a risk. You know, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I think we live in this space where we're too afraid. 
We're too afraid that it won't work. We're too afraid that we, we can't trust God that much because what if he doesn't come through? I think we think maybe that God is too busy or, or that our prayer isn't that important and maybe he has more important things to do and so we don't pray. Or maybe we pray one time and we move on. Is that true of you? Do you struggle to pray big things because you just don't quite believe that God's going to come through? You know, so many of us, we say, oh yeah, I'll pray for that. But then we don't. Why don't we? Why are we comfortable not taking the thing that we said we would pray for to our Father? It's because we're afraid that he won't do it. Because if we actually believed he would, if we actually believed that God would bring healing any time that we prayed, we would pray every time. Every time I have a headache, I take a pill because I know that it's going to work. If I actually believed that my father was willing to answer every prayer for healing, I would pray every time. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 4, 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. We do not have because we do not ask and keep on asking. You know, John Wesley, some of you will know that name, was the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s. He said this, he said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. I imagine there's probably things that God does do. But the, the principle that John Wesley is saying is that God responds to prayer. Friends, I don't think it's that, that we've had enough experiences of God not answering prayer that we've decided he can't do it. I think we've not laid hold of God enough to see him do it. I think we don't persist in prayer enough to see him do it. I think we don't, we don't continue to lay hold of God long enough to see him do what we're asking. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, he said this. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness Friend, do you understand your father that way? Do you understand your father as one who's willing to answer? That he's more willing than your earthly father was to give you what you ask for. That he's more willing than any friend to respond to your shameless audacity. Do you understand your father that way? Because, friend, if we don't understand God our Father that way, if instead we have limited views on what it is that God will do, what needs to change is our understanding of who God is. At the end of that verse... Jesus says, how much more is your heavenly father willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?
Friends, I think that's what we need. I think so often when we struggle to believe that God will answer our prayers, it's because we lack faith and God is the one who gives us faith. And so friend, I would like to just pray with you right now. We're just, we're just going to pray that our heavenly father would give us more of the Holy Spirit because Jesus says that he will do it. And so just wherever you are, just open your hands. You can put your palms to the ceiling. Just open your hands in a posture of receiving. And make this prayer your own. Father, I choose to believe today that you desire to pour out the Holy Spirit on me. I choose to believe today, no matter how I feel, I choose to believe today that you will always give me more of the Holy Spirit than I already have. So, Father, would you release your Spirit? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on me? Would you fill me to overflowing? God, I pray that you would pour out on me new gifts for kingdom service. Friend, I pray for you right now that the Father would release on you gifts of healing. Even in your own body, I feel like that God would release gifts of healing in your body. That he would then use you and your testimony to see healing come to those around you. God, I pray that you would release that. Would you release that now? God, I pray for, for, for gifts of tongues. I pray, God, that people would receive gifts of tongues, that they would be able to pray, that the Spirit of God would pray in them when they don't know what to say. God, that faith would arise. Would you give people words that they don't have? I pray that you would release gifts, Lord. Would you release prophecy? God, I pray that you would release your heart to speak to the nations through the people who are listening. Would you release gifts of prophecy, God? I pray, God, that you would release gifts of generosity, that people would be generous, and not out of their own uh, muscling up generosity. I pray, God, that kingdom generosity would come. Holy Spirit, would you fall on people right now? Just continue to receive what God is giving you. Father, I pray that you would bless these people. God, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. I pray, God, that, that what would erupt out of this moment is not some sort of pride or, or some sort of uh, hyper-spirituality, but, God, what would erupt from this moment is worship. God, that you would give us a heart that overflows in worship to you. So may God continue to bless you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.